This is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Stacy, Curtis. <laughs> now Hi. that we've introduced ourselves, <laughs> this is Seattle Sports at Night on 710 ESPN Seattle. Shout out to you for stopping by. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Thank you, Stacy, nice. for being here. Thank me, you know. Because Jake's not here. Someone isn't. Wow. Someone's too busy with Russell Wilson. I'm going to go train him and put out my summer video series. Cool, Jake. Real cool. Yeah, well, the real cool kids. Jake told me, uh, he texted me the other day while he was out there, and he got a book for his son, Jackson, and he's like, I didn't know this at the time. And He goes, hey, I got a book that I think is really going to resonate with you. And I was like, oh, cool. Mm. <laughs> what is it? And he sends me a picture, and it's called The Tiny T-Rex and the Impossible Hug. Oh. And it's making fun of how short my arms are. And I was like, no. dang it. I should have known this no. wasn't not only genuine. Is, not it was only a is troll. Ja- yeah, Jake's in Cabo, and then he's taking time out of his vacation. Not vacation. It's work. To troll. To troll. But can I tell you, I was actually really proud of him for it. Yeah. That's some next-level troll. I like it. Yeah. Uh, good job. Shout out to Jake, even though he's not here tonight. But, uh, Stacey, we're, what, 15 hours away from training camp getting started? Yeah, just about. Yeah, and uh, I I plan on being asleep for most of those hours. For Oh, you mean the hours upcoming? Yeah. Not for training no, camp No, hours. no, no, no. And I plan on checking out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, catch me in week one, guys. <laughs> See you in a Have little fun. bit. Yeah. But uh, so much to get to in just this short amount of time leading up to training camp. Well, Bobby Wagner signed. Mm-hmm. What are they going to do with Jaron Reed? How will Earl Mitchell's and his addition fit in with the Seahawks organization? Uh, you know, so many other questions to get to. We're going to do our best to get into all of that here tonight on Seattle Sports at Night. So I think we should stop, you know, wasting our time. Dilly dally. Yeah, let's get into it and look at what is on the timeline here on this Wednesday. Like we said, just a few hours away, really, from training camp. Some updates on guys in the organization. Lano Hill placed on the PUP list, dealing with that hip issue. Not a good sign for the Seahawks secondary, one that could be thin already, or at least unproven. A third-year guy not getting uh, not getting out of the gates right away in training camp. Caleb Scott on the non-football injury list. They waived Marcellus Sutton and Derek Thomas to make room for Earl Mitchell, who was signed today, the veteran defensive tackle who played for the Texans and 49ers, and also oh. wide receiver Daniel Williams. I thought you were going to go into... Uh... Oh, Earl Mitchell? Yeah. Bear down. Dude. There we go. Bear That's what down I was every single day. How did I know? It Arizona says right here Wildcat. on the notes in front of me. It does. I'm not going to read it verbatim, but it yeah. says bear down. It does. It does. Shout out to Earl Mitchell being a Seahawk. Uh, obviously, I'm a little biased because we share we share an alma mater, but Earl Mitchell, a veteran, a guy who is going to come in and, and do what is expected of him, uh, dealt with some injuries in San Francisco a year ago, but there were a couple seasons ago, I think he played for the Dolphins as well in his career. He did come in on a visit to the Seahawks organization a couple of years ago, I think, in free agency, didn't sign with them ultimately, but I, I think it shows... I think what this move shows to us is that they're not going to sacrifice their future just to make another run in it. We'll get into that a little bit more at 7.30, but Stacy, just on the face value of it, yeah. getting Earl Mitchell into the organization after the news of Jaron Reed's six-game suspension, how do you feel about it? 
Um, I, I mean, I think it's a smart move. It's a move you have to do. It's something where, like you said, they aren't spending money. That They have draft capital for next year. They still have plenty of picks. They uh, have a lot of cap space in the future. But I think that, uh, if anything, it might signal that they're, they might be interested in, in keeping Reed around long term. Um, and then I think, interestingly enough to me, and maybe this is part of what uh, Bob Condota was talking about with me and Tom is that it's it's hard to gauge how whether or not the Seahawks knew that Reed would be suspended because I think if they did know you would have expected a signing like this a couple months ago or even weeks ago so I think the fact that they're adding now makes it all the more obvious that they might not have known yeah I think if they had known that the Jaron Reed sign or the Jaron yeah. Reed suspension was going to happen, I bet they would have gone after Indomitian and Sue. For sure. I bet they would have gone hard after him. They did invite him to the team facility, but it didn't get beyond that. I don't think you so would have waited of. until it happened. No, and I think the Seahawks would have gone all out for him. So it, it does show that they were also surprised by the NFL's decision to suspend Jaron Reed, but uh, Tomorrow we're going to get a good look on how the Seahawks plan on playing without Jaron Reed, or at least first initial impressions of that. Uh, some other news on that defensive line, which all of a sudden now is the biggest question mark with the Seahawks. Some good news. Tom Pelissero of the NFL Network reporting that Ziggy Ansa will start training camp on the active roster. A lot of people thinking that Ziggy Ansa could miss the first couple of weeks dealing with that shoulder injury. But he's starting to camp on the active roster, which is puts him in a better situation than like Lano Hill or yeah. four rookies. So Well, Lano Hill and the rookies can still be taken off of that list, but I think the good news with Ziggy Ansa is he was, like you said, he is expected to miss a couple weeks. Obviously, all of these are just reports and speculation since no one knows for sure. I'm sure the team is keeping their timeline for him pretty close to the vest. But I think what this move tells you is he's a lot closer to that two to three week missing time than he is to six to seven weeks. And the Seahawks defensive line, they could use him as soon as possible especially with Jaron Reed being sidelined for the next six weeks to start the season. The college game, Pac-12 Media Day is going on. A lot of people speaking today. Every head coach spoke. Larry Scott, he took to the podium. We'll get into what he had to say coming up at 8.30. But some of the biggest news and notes to come from there, the preseason poll in the conference has come out. The Huskies picked to finish second in the Pac-12 North by just one vote. Oregon had 190 votes. The Huskies had 189 votes for that first place spot in the North. So it is a dead heat for the Pac-12 North title. At least that's what people think it's going to be. Utah, unbelievably, the Utes are the conference favorites. They're projected by more team by more media members to win the conference as a whole than any other team. Uh, it, I mean, they've been good. They have I mean, been. Seattle took two of their defenders. Yeah, the and, this year. and they played the Huskies really close a couple of times a year ago. Kyle Whittingham, one of the best coaches on the West Coast. What's weird is that the Pac-12 South hasn't had many conference champions since they split the division up. So, you know, the Pac-12 South, very wide open every single year, but Utah maybe just maybe a little bit further ahead of everybody else. Some other media day notes, Pac-12 title game, how it gets played in the Bay Area every year and there's nobody showing up to those games and it's just awful and, and no one cares. Well, it's going to move to Las Vegas for 2020 and 2021. Now, I've I've been to the Pac-12 basketball tournament in Las Vegas. That is a that is an event 
you should Yeah, I'm not to. mad at this move at all. No. And it becomes more of a destination for people to yeah, make a trip. You've got what Vegas is on its own, and now you're throwing a championship-level football game on top of that. Yeah. Like, if you're... Let's say you're a fan of the Huskies. In December, in this area, the weather's not great. Mm-hmm. To go down to Vegas where it's a little more palatable, it's not like 105 that time of year. Like, that's a pretty enviable trip to make. Oh, for sure. I would I would make that trip all day long. And then some weird, weird stuff out of the Pac-12 media days. Preliminary discussions have been held between Fox and the Pac-12 for some 9 a.m. kickoffs in the conference. 9 a.m. Like, you know how early you got to tailgate? Like, 6 a.m. you got to get to the stadium. Would this be... So this is games between Pac-12? Conference teams, okay. yeah. That's just weird to me. Yeah. It'd be one thing if it was, you know, you're ever playing outside of your conference and maybe they're trying to find a happy medium between fans in the in the southeast or in the mid-east, but this is... Like, people on the West Coast don't need to, no. don't need to wake up early for it, this. It does grow your national footprint where you've got people so on the East Coast. So they're trying to make Coast. it so on noon they can tune yeah, in and see it. Yeah, exactly. But is it worth it if it You have to tailgate it, at like 7 o'clock. Exactly. Is it worth it if the quality of play is terrible because the guys are like just waking up or right. have been up since 4 a.m. or whatever? Because players got to get to the stadium probably like three, four hours before kick, right? Yeah, like imagine the year that, uh, was it 2017 when Washington went to the Final Four? It was the 20, I believe it was the 2016 season. 2016. Yeah. I think it would have been really cool in that season to get them exposed to the rest of, you know, to East Coast fans. But yeah, it's kind of like it depends where the conference is at the start of the season. Yeah. Like the last thing you want is people complaining about the conference all over Twitter, like a bigger audience doing it. Yeah. We're actually, we're just a month away from college football regular season starting. Yeah, it is weird. I know. I feel like summer hasn't even started. I, yeah. This weather raining and gross. Yeah. I mean, I know it's nice today, but in this past weekend, but it really feels like summer just kind of never came. And all of a sudden we're talking about football in the fall. We had tons of snow during the winter and we didn't get hardly any. Better write a letter. Yeah. A strongly worded Mm, letter. Yes. Yes. That is uh, what's on tonight's timeline. Actually, there's one more thing on tonight's timeline. The LA Clippers, they introduced Kawhi Leonard and Paul George to uh, their to their fan base and and their media in LA and Steve Ballmer, who we all know is just one of the, uh, one of the greats, I guess, in terms of press conferences, in terms of, he's just, an all-timer. yeah, he was hyped. I have these notes, but I gotta say, I'm just fired up to be here today. It's pretty cool. Pretty damn cool. I mean, that scream was... Do you know how much spit was flying? Like, if you were within a foot of Steve Ballmer, you're drenched. Yeah, that's that's spray zone. That is a spray zone for sure. Steve Ballmer, he's a good kind of crazy. Another good kind of crazy, Earl Thomas. But Earl Thomas had some not-so-nice words for the Seahawks today. He joined ESPN's Josina Anderson for a lengthy interview. What did he have to say about the end of his Seattle career? We get into that next. Curtis Rogers, Stacey Ross, Seattle Sports at Night on 710 
ESPN Seattle. Live from the Alaska Airline Studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Tours like text line, utilize it at your leisure, just as the 206 has done. They say 206 reporting. Shout out to you, the 206. And then uh, the 253, not happy with our weather takes. Not happy at all. They say, if you want more sun, move to California or Arizona. I think this summer is still too hot. Sir, I lived in Arizona, and I moved back. So so no, thank you. Yeah. No, Seattle Ar- summers are mostly it. great. It's yes. just that it's infrequent. Yeah, and then like the imminent doom that's coming with like wildfire season, like we're going to get smoked out. Probably in about a month. You're making this show a bummer right I know. Now. I know. Well, what else <laughs> is... Wop, Debbie Downer. So instead of me making it a bummer, let's listen from Earl Thomas. Let's have a mood lifter. Yeah. Earl Thomas, he joined ESPN's NFL Live today uh, for a pretty lengthy interview with Josina Anderson, and they got to all sorts of topics about his time here in Seattle, his holdout last year, his relationship with the Seahawks front office, and specifically... Pete Carroll. Earl, starting it off talking about why he's not in Seattle anymore. You know, Pete in the front office, we just didn't, they didn't value me, I guess, like they used to. And I had just talked to Coach Carroll. Uh, he was saying how he was trying to get me in the plans of getting a new contract. But I got hurt the next week, and I think I hurt myself too, uh, you know, by my actions, getting caught off the field. I think it's nice that Earl acknowledges that he probably hurt his chances of mm, receiving sure. an extension even after his injury by flipping off the sideline. Yeah. What I still to this day don't quite understand in the NFL specifically, and specifically with players who are at star levels, that are always shocked when they don't get that contract or the team that they played for for years and years and years cuts them. I yeah, I don't understand it because it is routine and maybe it's like oh that could never happen to me but it's like it's happened to a lot of guys there are very few guys that it's never happened to and we're talking like tom brady even i don't Peyton necessarily think cut. it's that though i think it's a mix of two things like it's not necessarily thinking it won't happen to me but i'm sure there are guys who enter their 30s and are like i know that i'm still capable i am still capable but you're too afraid to to bet on me because you aren't sure whether a linebacker or a safety in 2019 can play up to like 33, 34. And uh, I think it was Brandon Marshall in an interview with uh, John Clayton last summer said, you know, he was, he was recognizing like I'm older than that pool, but that guys are playing into their thirties more often because sports medicine is so much better than what it used to be. And he didn't say this, but, I think one of the things I took from that is that maybe the league and coaches and GMs are still kind of catching up to that because it still feels like a gamble. But on on the other side, say that you are not what you were. I think that one thing that makes it is a tricky line to walk when you're not only a player's coach, but when you're a player's coach in football is that you are preaching togetherness and unity and sacrificing for one another, and you have to get guys to buy in 100%. If you're a guy like Pete Carroll, guys have to buy in 100% to your program and the theme of how you run your program. And there's an element of betrayal to that. 
when eventually you have to let them go. Like that's that's what it is. It is betrayal. But when Brandon Marshall mentioned like how medicine has improved and guys pulling windows tend to get bigger and bigger and, and longer and whatever. Brandon Marshall also hadn't come off two out of his last three seasons breaking his leg. That's true. But and I don't think what he said is wrong. No, I don't think so either. But in this case with the Seahawks, Earl's injuries were far more career-threatening and far more devastating than what Brandon Marshall had yes. before coming to Seattle. Yep. And I think that's a big reason why the Seahawks were saying, no, we don't want to pay you what it is that you want. Like, we're willing to pay you. We're, we're willing to bring you back on our terms. We're not going to bring you back on your terms because you haven't proven that you can stay healthy over the last couple of years. And now both of those were kind of freak accidents. But the Seahawks look at it like, hey – you're not holding up your end of the bargain. No, I think that if I think that most people as a GM would probably make the same decision. Just just trying to think a couple years ahead and trying to look at injury history. I think that I'm guessing, I'm not in his shoes obviously, but I think that for Earl it might fall into the latter category of kind of buying into a system or just being told like you're someone who not just him but like to be a great football player you have to be great at either using other people's doubt to motivate you or or kind of letting other people's doubt fuel you and and if you don't believe in me you're doubting me kind of thing and i feel like you have to kind of have that mentality to be not just at the nfl but like a great db yeah. and again i think that this is a tricky line that pete carroll in particular walks which is it is really, really hard to be a player coach that tells that that you're in there telling guys, I believe in you, don't listen to people who doubt you, you're great, you should believe you're great. And then when you tell someone that for eight years and and you want him to be a leader and you want him to retire with your program and then all of a sudden that conversation fades, I think it just hits you that, oh, it's a business. And it sounds silly. All of these guys are smart, but... I think that in the same situation, I would imagine that even I, after eight years, would kind of start to think, okay, maybe this person has my back, right? Because I think that's normal human behavior. Yeah. And then I think it would be, it's, it would be hurtful. And I'm not agreeing with Earl, but I'm just saying, like, I think that, I think that Pete's style of coaching becomes really tough in later years. Well, and Earl talked about, you know, that that lasting image, the final image of him in a Seahawks uniform, him flipping his middle finger to the Seahawks sideline. He talked to Josina Anderson about who that finger was meant for. I gave Pete, you know, the middle finger. Cause I feel like he wasn't being honest with me. What was going through your mind when they were carting you off the field and you were hurt? Yeah, I was basically talking to Pete because I knew what happened because I've been through it before. I knew I knew it was broke. Like when Pete came trying to like act like he, you know, concerned, I was like, you won, bro. Like, you know, just kept it moving. So at the time that you gave him the dirty bird, he said nothing? No, we haven't, we haven't spoken. Do you regret giving Pete Carroll the dirty bird? I don't, I don't regret my decision. If my teammates felt like it was towards them, I regret that part. But I don't regret doing it to Pete. The Marvel trailer music underneath makes it really also the, intense. Also, keep referencing the Dirty Bird, which is what my friend calls Red Robin. Yeah, and uh, you I, gave him Red Robin. I I can't. I would love take to receive the Red phrase Robin. Dirty Bird seriously. Yeah, but when you hear that from Earl, it it definitely has like the reason they 
have the interviews because that's there's shock value in that. Yeah. But who among us is actually surprised about that? Right. Like, yeah, John Schneider was also on the sideline, but I think that's the more surprising fact. Like, who actually thought Earl Thomas was flipping off his teammates? Oh, no. Like, Earl Thomas came back and played on a one-year deal. He was out there with his teammates. Yeah, he didn't practice all the time, but, like, he was... And when he played, he was amazing, just as he's always been. He had a couple of interceptions. He had an interception in the first game against the Broncos. He still led the, the team in interception after in interceptions after four games. He had three. Yeah. And that and Bradley McDougald were the two high marks for all DBs. Yeah. Like, dude was amazing, even having played a quarter of the season. Uh, Earl then talked about how his legacy will always be attached to Pete Carroll's. I feel like we, I mean, we got to walk with each other for the rest of our lives because we won a Super Bowl together. But they'll love you one minute and then. They'll hate you the next. I feel like that's that was our relationship. How? How? I don't understand. It's just how it is in the game. It's just how it is. I'm not speaking for every coach. Yeah. That's just my experience. I don't think Pete hates anybody that's ever played for him. No. Because you, I don't. Pete, time and time again in the media, and he comes to the defense of guys who may be a little insubordinate with Richard Sherman and Michael Bennett and Earl and Marshawn, probably the four most most prevalent cases of this and yet Pete will still come to bat for those guys regardless of how they may feel about him and Earl in that quote there talks about how you know how can it go from this to hate in one day I think that's hate on your end I don't think it's hate from the Seahawks towards you it's just them putting their foot down saying hey we're not comfortable paying a player who's on the other side of 30 $14 $14 million when everything, when all of our scouting department and analytics and all of our research says to not do this, we, we're going to have to go with that because we are trying to win. And yeah, you may still be the best safety in football, but Cam Chancellor, if Cam Chancellor doesn't get hurt the way he did, I think that changes a lot of decision making that the Seahawks front office. Yeah does over the last couple of seasons for sure i think i think earl probably gets his deal maybe sherman gets another deal who knows but i feel like if cam doesn't get hurt the ripple effect from that and then the ripple effect from like malik mcdowell which we're going to get into here coming up uh those two situations continue to be felt throughout this organization and right now uh uh you know the seahawks still making moves that kind of have you know, attachments to years back. It's crazy. And so today the Seahawks made a move to address the lingering hole in that defensive line. They bring in Earl Mitchell. And I'm going to tell you, Stacey, and I'm going to tell all you out there listening to Seattle Sports tonight what this means for the Seahawks and what it shows that Pete Carroll and John Schneider have learned over the last couple of years. That's next. Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle. Make sure you're downloading that 710 Sports app. It is driven by your Puget Sound Acura dealers. Every hour of every show available at your fingertips. If you miss anything tonight. That's where you want to go. You can also download our podcast, 710sports.com. Click on the podcast page. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, we are there for you. 
We're here for you right now. Curtis Rogers and Stacy Rost with you on Seattle Sports at Night. Now, the Seahawks today, they made a signing. They kicked off their day bringing in veteran defensive tackle Earl Mitchell, played for the Texans, played for the Dolphins, played for the 49ers. He's, he's been around the league. And today, he's now with the, the Seahawks, presumably taking over for Jaron Reed in the first six weeks of the season. Now, I think there's a percentage of the Seahawks fan base maybe a little disappointed the Seahawks didn't make a big splash in who they'd get to replace Jaron Reed. I think there was you know, names thrown out there like Yannick Ngakwe of the Jaguars who didn't report to camp. He's looking for a new deal. Jadavian Clowney of the Texans also looking for a new deal. He's you know on the franchise tag with the Texans. So there are guys out there who fit the need on the defensive line. But the Seahawks went a much more conservative route mm-hmm. in getting Earl Mitchell. And I think bringing in a veteran like him shows a distinct change in how the Seahawks are doing business, especially when it comes to times of crisis, I guess you could say, or, or times of panic or situations where there is a glaring need and you have to address it and address it immediately or else you're going to get left behind. In years past, we saw the Seahawks when Malik McDowell didn't report to camp, when he got into that ATV accident. When he didn't report to camp, what did the Seahawks do? Well, they traded Jermaine Curse, brought in Sheldon Richardson during training camp. or what? It was during the preseason, I think, wasn't it? It was, uh, it was right like September 1st or something. Yeah. So it was late in the preseason, and they brought in Sheldon Richardson, who is still a really good defensive tackle in the NFL, but they gave up Jermaine Curse. They also gave up a high draft pick for Sheldon Richardson. And then also on the offensive line that very same season, they brought in Dwayne Brown on the offensive line, mm-hmm. trading a second-round pick for his services. So we've seen the Seahawks in times of crisis, at least in the recent seasons, tend to make a big splash when that happens. Today, that didn't happen. No. But what I'll say is I think they've still kind of gone gradually toward moving just a little bit more conservatively. And I don't know that it has as much to do with changing tact as it does with uh, maybe seeing your team moving in a different direction. So I think with Sheldon Richardson – it was seen as a team that very much could be a Super Bowl favorite, mm-hmm. was one or two defensive players away. But then when they when that season played out, they ended up missing the playoffs yes. at nine and seven. And a lot of that was due to the age of guys on the defense. They didn't play up to the level that they had the previous four seasons. And then this year, I don't I mean Pete Carroll he'll say it to the media. He's you know, Super Bowl is always our goal. But if that were the case, I feel like they would have tried to go out and get the biggest name possible to fill in for Jaron Reed on the Yeah, well, I just line. think they're not, they're not throwing money at the problem. No. And they also aren't making moves. I think that this team, John Schneider and Pete Carroll, I think if there is something you can say about them, I think it's that they try to self-correct. And they'll make the same mistake a couple times, but not in the way that other organizations and front offices have just 
crash and burned year after year after year because mm-hmm. they just keep trying to throw money at problems. So they did make a blockbuster trade for Jimmy Graham and for Percy Harvin, but then they traded Harvin away midseason. They, you know, the Graham didn't work out. They've not since traded for someone they didn't need. They didn't need Jimmy Graham. Yeah. They needed a defensive tackle when they went for Sheldon Richardson because they didn't have Malik McDowell. They needed a left tackle going for Dwayne Brown. And in both instances, I think that you could say this roster was more known. There were more known pieces on this roster, and you were more sure of them going to the postseason than you were now. So I think now it's, like you said, it's an eye toward the future. I don't know if it says something about Jaron Reed, that they feel like they already have answers at defensive tackle. Um, Because Earl Mitchell's 31. I don't think he's your long-term solution. And then Al Woods is what? He's in his 30s as well. Right. And those are the two guys who are probably, at least starting out, they're probably going to get the majority of snaps. Puna Ford, the second-year guy. Yep. You don't know if his size is going to be able to hold up because he's, what, only 5'11". So there's some question marks about that. But But he's stout. Yeah. three-something. Yeah, three and some change. And when he did play last year, he he played very well. He was one of the highest-rated defensive tackles against the run, uh, according to Pro Football Focus, which, by the way, Pro Football Focus today ranked the Seahawks' defensive line as 29th in the NFL out of 32. I don't know if that's factoring in Jaron Reed or without him, but either way, that's not ideal for the Seahawks' defensive line. But why I think this is a good thing, why I think it's good that the Seahawks – didn't break the bank to find a replacement for Jaron Reed is like you said, Stacy. The future of this team is better off with as many assets as mm-hmm. possible. You look at the Indianapolis Colts, who many people point to right now as one of the more up and coming teams in the league. Chris Ballard, their GM, he's done a great job of reshaping their cap structure, even with a franchise quarterback and Andrew Luck. And they were able to get two All-Pros in their rookie class a year ago, Quentin Nelson and Darius Leonard. Mm -hmm. And then they had the most cap space of any team heading into this last wave of free agency. And then you've also got a couple of years, you know, what they don't spend in free agency this year, that rolls over to the next cap. So the Colts are in a very enviable position. I think the Seahawks look at that and they're like, why can't we be like that where – yeah, they're paying a franchise quarterback, and the history shows that you can't win big when you're paying one guy that big of a percentage of your salary cap. But the Colts are kind of showing the NFL world, like, hey, assets are great to have. Like, you want to have as many assets as possible. That's how you keep the the cards stacked in your favor mm-hmm. rather than just dealing them all away because, you know, we saw the Seahawks have, what, was it a four-year stretch? Where they didn't make a first round pick. Yeah. Imagine those it was Seahawks like only teams. Only Jermaine Effetti kind of thrown in yeah. there. Yeah. Imagine those Seahawks teams when they were winning Super Bowls, still able to bring in first round pick after first round pick. Right. Like, the cupboard probably wouldn't have been as bare as it was at the end of the Well, and part of that LLB was because era. of those trades, right? Like, exactly. One of, those, one of those was Jimmy Graham, which. Again, like I, you kind of saw them moving in this direction with this year's draft, going from four picks. John Schneider could have stopped, traded into the second and third, and kind of picked up some more picks there, but he tried to get as many players as he could. They wound up with, I think, 11 draft picks from four, second most in the draft, and they have 
among the highest number of draft picks for next year. That's obviously changed. They've traded a couple away. They traded, I think, a six-rounder for they traded a Jacob Hollister. And then they the traded Patriots. another pick to get back into the draft and take right. John Ursula. Yeah, so, so they have made some moves there. But again, you don't see them throwing these picks away. I think this is a team that knows, hey, we've... You're, not every draft, and I know that they know this, but not every draft is going to be 2012 where you just hit it out of the the park. You know, I think that in drafts since they've realized, all right, we we got Frank Clark, capitalized on that. We found Ty- Tyler Lockett, capitalized on that. Plenty of other picks haven't worked out, and so obviously the more you can get, the better. And if you don't need a problem fixed, don't throw money at it to fix it and make it better. Well, and it it also goes to show how important it is to hit on those early draft picks. Because no Malik McDowell, that's a couple of years of production you're missing out on now. And in his place, they could have taken somebody else. I think the a lot of people look at that 2017 draft. They look at the guys who were picked right after Malik McDowell. I think mm-hmm. Juju Smith-Schuster was, I think, like the very next pick. You put him on the Seahawks roster, all of a sudden the, the possibilities are endless. and all, And then the loss of Doug Baldwin isn't as felt so hard as it is now, and you know, you're wondering, is DK Metcalf going to be the guy to step in? Who else is Jerron Brown ready to take a, an extra step in his development? It just the it's such a vicious cycle that the Seahawks have been on, and it feels like once they can get this under control, once they can finally stop the ripple effect from like Malik McDowell and all that to to just once they can get that under control, then I feel like the Seahawks can take off and just absolutely wreck shop in the NFL over the next couple of seasons. Well, and if there was any good sign, it was Chris Ballard kind of heaping praise on John Schneider during a column he had um, filling in for Peter King when he said kind of in his thoughts at the bottom that he was really impressed with what John Schneider's been able to do in two years and how he's been able to construct that. So clearly seems like they have some of the same values and plans as GMs, which doesn't hurt to share those with an executive of the year but definitely not but yeah I agree I think I think too what I wonder and I'm just thinking this now is when you have a lot of unproven talent it's not like you went out and you got a first or second rounder that you're sure is gonna pay off you kind of want to keep as many draft picks and as much capital because you don't know what's going to happen with your fifth sixth seventh rounder and they have had some that have paid off Chris Carson was a seventh rounder who obviously paid off for this team yeah. but it's almost like the more uncertainty you have the more kind of backup you need in your pocket coming up on seattle sports now we got some four down territory which position group will we be spending the most of our time tomorrow watching on day one we answer that next and then at eight o'clock some more positional previews for the seahawks that stacy ross our seahawks insider is going to give us that's all coming up on seattle sports at night on 710 espn seattle this, this is Four Down Territory on Seattle Sports at Night. You got to dig deep, deep, deep. Stacey and I get deep into fast food talk during the break. That's we what do. We We're do. very passionate about yeah. it. It's, this, it's the hour of day in which we host because... I, mean, I would fast say food it's, just t- it's, it hits better. It's the hour of day, but it's also a lifestyle. It is. We've chosen this lifestyle. It's who we are. I We're not like Brock it. and Salk where they like eat, you know caviar every day right right and they'll talk about it like oh the, the pancetta was so great like yeah and you're whatever. like oh great yeah uh have you had have you Western had a gordita crunch yeah. like i don't think so yeah let's get into some four down territory number one
The four biggest questions surrounding the Seahawks as we head into day one of training camp tomorrow. Speaking of Brock and Salk, Stacey, first down, they unveiled DK Metcalf as their most intriguing Seahawk of 2019. Agree or disagree? I would have agreed a week ago Mm. or four days Mm. ago, but now I agree with Brock. Brock was against DK Metcalf at number one. He thought Ziggy Ansah should be number one. He certainly thought DK Metcalf was intriguing, but more of like a number two, number three guy, but he was overruled. And and I agreed. I thought DK Metcalf initially, I mean, it's not like a most important player, but it's certainly someone that is intriguing. It of, of course, to have like a big offensive weapon like that. But I think with the suspension of Jaron Reed, Ziggy Ansa suddenly feels like even more eyes are glued on him to see what happens there. So I'm going to agree in theory, but I'm going to say that following the suspension of Jaron Reed, Getting someone in there for that pass rush has now become the most important thing for this team. I view DK Metcalf and the drafting of him like when you're at the toy store as a little kid and yeah. you see that super soaker that comes with the backpack. I would always get stationary. Okay. But <laughs> when you see that you're trying to figure out a practical use for it, even though you know it's amazing, right. even though you know right. it is like game-changing when you get this. Yeah. But you're also trying to find a way you can use it every single day. I think that's going to be the toughest thing for the Seahawks, where how do you use DK Metcalf on every single play? How is his run blocking? How is he going to be able to fill in, in ways that he probably wasn't asked to do at Ole Miss the way, he was in, the way he's going to be here in Seattle? I'm excited for what he could bring to the Seahawks offense, and I think that is... That's probably what makes him the most intriguing Seahawk of 2019 because there's never been anybody quite like him, maybe since Joey Galloway Mm. in the Seahawks wide receiver group. And, I mean, Joey Galloway, another workout freak. So maybe, just maybe, DK Metcalf could follow in his shoes. Number two. At least not to the point where he holds out half a season and and misses and then gets traded. Just in terms of... Just, just pure, freakness. like, insane yeah. collection of size, speed, and strength. Exactly. Seahawks training camp is tomorrow. First day of practice. Stacy, you were out at minicamp. You were at OTAs. I was. Now it's training camp. So which position group are you going to spend most of your mm. time watching on day one? Uh, day one, ooh, I will probably, well, here's the thing. The wide receivers, I feel like normally in the quarterbacks, work out closer to the water. So I'm probably, <laughs> I'm probably going to start out in that direction. Um, I think looking at the defensive line, I think the first thing people are looking at is who's in, who's out, who's practicing, where's Bobby Wagner. Everyone's going to be watching for it. But, uh, but yeah, I think an eye on the defensive line and, and then checking out those receivers to see how guys like Jer- Gary Jennings, uh, who kind of fell under the radar because he missed most of the offseason with a hamstring injury, managed to come back in the final two days of minicamp, um, but still... I think uh, writers haven't seen a ton from him, so he's a guy I'll probably be watching. Some of those receivers that are on the bubble. Gary Jennings, former uh, former athlete of Russell Wilson's. Yeah, he Russell Wilson coached him for a youth YMCA basketball team. Maybe there's a connection already in there. Maybe if Gary Jennings drops a pass, Russell's going to make him like run wind sprints. Yeah, exactly. He's that like, I'm still your coach. That would be wild to see. Number three. Third down, Stacy. Jaron Reed, he's been suspended six games for violating the league's personal conduct policy. 
They bring in Earl Mitchell today, but who do you think is going to be that guy that replaces his production mm. over the first six games? Uh, I think they're going to have to find it probably on the edge instead of trying to stay really stout on the interior of the line. I think you're really hoping that until Ziggy Ansah can get out there, someone like Cassius Marsh or Jacob Martin can can stay speedy and, more importantly, stay healthy and really physical. And then you're hoping that once Ziggy Ansah gets out there, he can make a big impact. As far as on the inside, I think you've got, yeah, Earl Mitchell at Jaron Reed's old position. And then someone like Puna Ford, maybe next to him, uh, kind of helping with that run defense, which they did struggle with last year. So I think uh, maybe instead of looking for 10.5 sacks from your defensive tackle, you're looking for some help there. Number four. Fourth down, fourth and final down. Bobby Wagner been in search of that contract extension all offseason. Tomorrow camp starts, and by what Jake has told us, and just kind of reading through the tea leaves, it sounds like Bobby wants to get this done as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. 10 a.m. is when they take the field tomorrow. Yeah. Between now and then, does Bobby Wagner receive a contract extension? You know, I have been every ESPN notification that I get the first reaction I have of late is that it's Bobby Wagner's extension. And I know it won't be because normally when that happens, you find out before the push notification comes out. But mm. I I don't know that it'll get done before tomorrow, but I have to think it gets done at the start of training camp. I just don't know why you would wait. Um, even if you use the franchise tag, we've talked about this endlessly. Like it's just, it just seems like such an obvious decision to keep him. And Tom Wassel and I, the other day, he was saying that he doesn't know fans get as excited about an extension for a linebacker as opposed to a franchise quarterback because fans just don't watch the two positions the same. But he said maybe another part of that is that people are just expecting Bobby Wagner to get done. Whereas with Russell Wilson, there was that deadline. It was down to the wire, and people were thinking, what if this team suddenly doesn't have a franchise quarterback? Well, what if this team suddenly doesn't have a franchise linebacker? That would be... very altering so I think I'm still in the camp of just expecting it to get done I just I've I've lost faith that it'll get done by tomorrow morning linebacking and quarterbacking now this may hurt Dave Wyman but linebacking is not as sexy as quarterbacking at least to the casual football viewer but the casual football viewer in Seattle knows Bobby Wagner that's the thing. That it is depends, a name that people know. It depends where a generational talent is, right? Like, the average person doesn't love a D-tackle, but any football fan could tell you Aaron Donald is one of the best players in football, if not the best right now. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think we were talking about how just fans, as a fan, you're kind of trained what to watch. So, like, the camera trains on the quarterback. I mean, you, you, if you watch football when you're young on a TV, you don't really grow up watching defenses all the time. No. Unless you're Dave Wyman. That is four down territory. I think Bobby Wagner does get his contract extension by 10 a.m. I've been a little hesitant on this. I've I've kind of talked myself into them not giving Bobby Wagner an extension, but I think the question marks about, you know how you try to pay players nowadays for what you think they're worth, not for what they've accomplished? I think Bobby Wagner's worth in the years going forward Probably the safest bet of any of the guys of that Legion of Boom sure. era defense going into you know the the third contract. Uh, a couple of texts on the Coors Light text line coming in uh, as we wrap up four down territory here on Seattle Sports Tonight with two oh six. You see, Curtis, the way you just described DK sounds a lot like Percy Harvin, 
But from what we've seen of DK Metcalf, he doesn't have the bipolarness of Percy Harvin. He doesn't have the ego of Percy Harvin. Well, and a concern about DK Metcalf, because he was coming off a neck injury, right? Or maybe surgery, was that he had a little bit of an injury history and people mm-hmm. were kind of worried about how he'd hold up. He's been at every single offseason practice, yeah. which is something that people were concerned about with Harvin, and Harvin didn't stay healthy. And he played, what, one regular season game yes. and appeared in half of a postseason game plus the Super Bowl. Have you ever had a kick return for a touchdown in a Super Bowl, Curtis? Super Bowl 27. Oh, okay. My, mis- yeah. my mistake. <laughs> Check the tape, Stacy. I was there. Uh that is another edition of Four Down Territory here on Seattle Sports at Night. When we return, Stacy will give you her final positional previews of the offseason because it's not the offseason anymore. It is the it, it's here, it's folks. It's the preseason. It's the it's preseason. still not the season season. No. Uh, we're at the in-between stage, mm. limbo season. That's what I like to call it. The in-betweezen? Ooh, yes. Okay, all right. <laughs> Stuck the landing. That is coming up next here on Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle.